Neil, what do you think right-wing billionaire Peter Thiel answered when asked what he thinks about death? I don't know, something outrageous probably. I'm against death, that's what he said. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Sandra. Hello, Doobie friends. Hi, Neil. Welcome to Dubious, everyone. Are we ready for a bloody Halloween story? Bloody and crazy indeed, because today's episode is about a modern medical take on the old classics, Dracula and Frankenstein. But in this case, the bloodsuckers are these fancy boy Silicon Valley startup guys promising rejuvenation and youth to seniors. So this concept of prolonged or eternal life and cheating death has been around for millennia and it has always fascinated people, hence the vampire stories and folklore. And as everybody knows, I love me some good vampire stories and movies. I'm a big fan of vampires. Of course you are. You're Romanian. So the first thing that comes to mind when I think of your native country is Transylvania, the vampires, the medieval castles and Dracula. Exactly. Also, Transylvania is gorgeous. I highly recommend everybody should visit. And half my blood is from there, by the way. My grandparents on my dad's side are from there. So I might be biased, but I do love Transylvania. The blood is life. Do you have vampire blood? <laughs> I wish, and so do the billionaires. Peter Thiel, who created PayPal, Larry Ellison, the co-founder of Oracle, Larry Page and Sergey Brin, the co-founders of Google, David Murdoch, who's 99, by the way, and said he wants to live at least 125 years. Uh, all these people donated or invested massive amounts of money, hundreds of millions of dollars in anti-aging research. But unlike me, some of them, specifically Peter Thiel, are willing to throw facts and science out the window and promote crazy ideas and practices like transfusions with blood from young people. And look, some ideas, one could argue, might have merit, like cryonic preservation, for example. You know, science is advancing so fast, it might be possible 50 or 100 years from now to bring someone back to life. Not necessarily the person's physical body, but there might be a way to download their consciousness to a server or something, you know, using their brain that was cryogenically preserved. And there's a case of a 14-year-old British girl who died of cancer, and she wanted to be preserved like that in case a cure is found. But will this ever work? Look, we have no idea if it will work. Nobody does yet. It is a controversial practice, and it sounds outlandish. We'll circle back to it later. But there is really no downside in preserving one's body in liquid nitrogen in extremely low temperatures. There is no risk to anyone. So as far as I'm concerned, if you can afford it, it costs about $50,000 a year on the low end and up to $200,000 a year if you want a fancier service, go for it. Or don't. Nobody else will be affected by your decision. At least not in our lifetime, that's the point. But when rich, influential people promote crazy ideas like transfusions with young blood, there is a risk, a very serious health risk, and people doing this might end up with serious health issues or even die. Yeah, so let's get into this story. Peter Thiel, the German-American billionaire technology investor and Donald Trump supporter, of course, is among those very interested in ways of escaping death. For our international listeners who might not be up to date with all of the evil billionaires in the U.S., we have our share, <laughs> uh, about half of the eight that own half of the world, last I checked. Peter Thiel immigrated to America with his family from Frankfurt when he was a child, later graduated from Stanford, 
and founded PayPal and a string of lucrative startups that made him rich. He was also one of the very first investors in Facebook. So he's got a head for the startup business. Right, but he's also very obsessed with eternal life, and he wants to live forever. The joke in the intro wasn't really a joke. He really said that he doesn't believe in death. <laughs> I mean, this is kind of crazy, given that the one thing that invariably happens to us all is death. Yes, I mean, like Benjamin Franklin said, in this world, nothing is certain except death and taxes. <laughs> but I do admire Till's enthusiasm, though. <laughs> <laughs> and look, who's to say that at some point humanity will not figure out eternal life? A hundred years ago, our life expectancy was, I don't know, 45, 47. Before that, it was 35. Now it's 70 plus, And some people actually live to be 100 or even older than 100. But the plasma transfusions is not how we'll get there. So Teal thinks that parabiosis works. Parabiosis means living beside. It's a laboratory technique that involves two organisms which are joined surgically to develop a single shared physiological system. For example, stitching living mammals together is very Frankenstein. I don't even want to talk about it. Leave the animals alone. Like, this is horrible. Anyways, plasma transfusions, in our case from young people to old people, is an extension of the parabiosis concept. According to Teal, this could be a potential biological fountain of youth and the closest thing science has discovered to an anti-aging panacea. Yes, the problem is that science doesn't back this up. Till says it does, but really it doesn't. Research into parabiosis began in the 1950s with crude experiments that involved cutting mice open and stitching their circulatory systems together. Anyway, that was the inspiration, the starting point for this whole plasma transfusion procedure. And... Look, it's clear from the get-go, even for those with no medical training like me, that uniting two circulatory systems, so you have an old mouse and a young mouse, and they now share one bloodstream, it's not the same thing as injecting plasma from teenagers into old people. So let's talk about Ambrosia. This was the startup that Peter Thiel expressed interest in. Ambrosia was offering to fill a person's veins with the blood of young people for $8,000, despite little to no hard evidence that the procedure actually had any benefits. $8,000, that's quite the blood-sucking price. <laughs> <laughs> they charged $8,000 for a liter of plasma and $12,000 for two liters. Oh, so get double and you get the discount. That inspires trust not. <laughs> <laughs> and with current inflation, last time I checked, my Diet Cokes cost almost $12,000 per two liter, too. So, <laughs> Well, drink water. <laughs> In any case, they were dealing with this as a marketing promotion. The point is that Teal was interested in Ambrosia's work, so he had Jason Cam reach out to Ambrosia. Cam was the chief medical officer at Teal Capital and also Peter Teal's personal health director. Yes, we don't know if Teal himself ever tried plasma transfusions. Uh, we are inclined to think not from what we know, but we do know he's a fan of the idea. He is. This is what he said. I'm looking into the parabiosis stuff, which I think is really interesting. This is where they did the young blood into older mice, and they found that it had a massive rejuvenating effect. It's one of these very odd things where people had done these studies in the 1950s, and then it got dropped altogether. I think there are a lot of these things that have been strangely underexplored. 
The problem here is that he can't be looking into anything because, let's face it, he has no training to do so. Medicine is not business, so Till might have a really good head for startups and business decisions and reading the markets and so on, but, you know, this is like when the anti-vaxxers say they did their research. I mean, reading two Facebook posts and an article on the toilet is not doing research. And this is where my dubimeter alarms start going off because this kind of endorsement, even though not too specific and not too direct, is what propagates such unsafe medical practices and puts lives at risk. You're right. The real researchers who study the plasma transfusion procedure say it poses major risks for patients including an increased risk of developing several serious conditions later in life, such as graft-versus-host disease, which can occur when transfused blood cells attack the patient's own cells, and transfusion-associated lung injuries. Irina and Michael Conboy, two University of California Berkeley scientists who published research on young blood transfusions in mice, called Ambrosia's plans, quote, dangerous. Irina Convoy told Business Insider they quite likely could inflict bodily harm. Exactly. The Berkeley researcher's concern uh, is based on a factual understanding of what happens in the body when it receives foreign blood from a donor. And this is a quote. It is well known in the medical community, and this is also the reason we don't do transfusions frequently, that in 50% of patients, there are very bad side effects. You are being infused with somebody else's blood and it doesn't match. That unleashes a strong immune reaction. And to clarify, they don't mean like the blood group doesn't match, like you'd give A to blood to a B patient. It means that blood, even of the same group, is a very complex thing and that even with all the testing and precautions, one can still have serious side effects from blood transfusions. Right. Blood transfusions are basically something doctors do when there's no alternative. Like you've been in a car crash and you've lost a lot of blood and you're going to die. You cannot survive on the one liter of blood that you've got left. You need three more liters or you're done for. In that case, yeah, because the side effects outweigh the alternative. I think the bigger discussion here is the Silicon Valley mindset, you know, fake it till you make it. I think that applies well when you're trying to make a phone app, but you can't screw around with medical studies and medical procedures involving blood and real people. I mean, this is not Instagram or Uber. If it fails, people are going to die. That's why it takes a lifetime to become a real name in the medical research field. You've got to go through a master's, a PhD, you have to have decades in the lab. There's no fast track to becoming a medical researcher. This is not tech. It's people's lives. Very well said. I think it's important you mentioned Silicon Valley because the guy who founded Ambrosia was a Stanford graduate, just like Elizabeth Holmes, the founder of Theranos. Well, she was a Stanford dropout who conned lots of people into believing in her and the idea that you can run up to 200 tests for various diseases on a single drop of blood. And she wasn't even 20 years old when she raised tens of millions of dollars for Theranos. We might do an episode about her at some point. It's a fascinating case. But back to our story, Jesse Karmazin, the CEO of Ambrosia, was a qualified medical doctor. But he wasn't practicing, actually. He was the face of the company, though. What really gets me very mad is 
when we have actual doctors who promote pseudoscience. These people, like Dr. Rose, for example, who also is known to have sold all kinds of like, you know, green coffee, weight loss pills, things like that. These people are among the most dangerous human beings, if you think about it, because they have the credibility and they use their status and degrees to make money and fool people, despite the Hippocratic Oath they took. Yeah, these are the worst people. Uh, Karmazin knew, he had the medical background, to understand that these transfusions were not beneficial and could potentially be dangerous. And yet, this is what he kept saying in the press. I want to be clear. At this point, it works. It reverses aging. I'm not really in the camp of saying this will provide immortality, but I think it comes pretty close. It's like plastic surgery from the inside out. He even said he ran a clinical trial, and here we have a lot to unpack. I mean, so clinical trials have rules. For example, this trial had only one arm, meaning he had only one group of patients, those receiving the quote-unquote therapy. From the get-go, that's just wrong. Unless you have a placebo arm or an arm comparing another established therapy, you can't say you have a clinical trial because you have nothing to compare your results with. It's nonsensical, so just based on this one thing, the Ambrosia trial was complete BS. Moreover, the one group of people he had were paying customers, not randomly selected patients. So one could argue that Ambrosia refitted a clinical trial to fit a business model. That's totally right. And about the so-called clinical trial, the blood tests of the subjects after the therapy was a shopping expedition. Ambrosia selected only the markers that went up, leaving the others out of their study. In a nutshell, this was not science, and Jesse Karmazin knew. He had the education to understand that what he was doing was wrong. Either way, the whole experiment lasted only two days, and it involved giving patients 1.5 liters of plasma from a donor between the ages of 16 and 25. It was conducted with David Wright, a physician who owned a private intravenous therapy center in Monterey, California. California. So another conflict of interest right there. And as we said, the trial participants paid $8,000, the same price as one of the procedures listed on Ambrosia's website. And most importantly, the trial results were never published. Everything we talked about are details and bits and pieces that the press managed to obtain. Right, which fortifies our point that it was all very unscientific because Real medical professionals can't wait to publish their research when they have great results. Yeah, exactly. But in fairness, Ambrosia was not the only startup doing this kind of thing. There was another company, the Young Blood Institute. They were charging $285,000 for trials of young blood transfusion. And Alcahest, these guys studied the link between aging and young blood, but instead of opening up centers for young blood transfusions, the company was focused on developing drugs for age-related diseases inspired by their work with plasma. But Ambrosia was expanding at this time, and the sites where customers could get the procedure included Los Angeles, San Francisco, Tampa, Florida, Omaha, Nebraska, and Houston, Texas. Oh, and very important in relation to Teal, Ambrosia said it was accepting payments for the procedure via PayPal. <laughs> <laughs> of course they were. And our boy Peter Teal was very captivated. This is what he said. There are all these people who say that death is natural. It's just part of life. And I think that nothing can be further from the truth. <laughs> and again, maybe he has the right idea. Maybe we'll figure out a way to live forever, but it's not going to be in a physical form. 
Like, it's going to be in the form of code in which your brain is put into a learning algorithm or some sort of thing, if at all. That's the only possibility. Yes, I think I agree with you because science will probably make it feasible for humans to maybe live in their own bodies for hundreds of years, maybe 200 or so years. But at some point, matter will degrade, cells will die, no matter what you do. The physical body will have to be replaced with something like a robot body. And I don't know, our consciousness will be downloaded from our original brains and then re-uploaded in the new body or just kept online in servers. And we will be, we will be our minds, basically. No body, just the mind, like in Black Mirror. <laughs> that episode was the best Black Mirror episode where the two women had their brains put into the uh, cloud server at the end and mm -hmm. got to stay together mm -hmm. forever. Yes, I love it. And shout out to a cousin of mine who actually have a microbiology PhD cousin at uh, Arizona State University. Her name is Shelly Haydale. And uh, she's talked about this over Thanksgiving dinner, saying that, you know, it's not too far off that we'll be able to get people to 120 years or 130 years forever. I don't know. Seems like a stretch. So needless to say that the whole Ambrosia nonsense caught the attention of federal regulators, thank the universe. And in February 2017, the FDA warned people against getting transfusions of young blood that purport to provide anti-aging and other health benefits. The former FDA commissioner, Scott Gottlieb, and the director of the FDA's Center for Biologics Evaluation and Research, Peter Marks, said in a joint statement, there is no proven clinical benefit of infusion of plasma from young donors to cure, mitigate, treat, or prevent these conditions, and there are risks associated with the use of any plasma product. The statement didn't call out any companies by name, but at the time, Ambrosia was one of the only companies known to offer this procedure. So immediately afterwards, Ambrosia's website changed to read, in compliance with the FDA announcement, we have ceased patient treatments. So they stopped? No. <laughs> <laughs> Soon after, according to Business Insider, Ambrosia was back up and running in two cities according to emails between the founder and the potential customer. The thing is, because the U.S. Food and Drug Administration had approved blood transfusions for emergencies, like, you know, car crashes and other life-saving procedures, Ambrosia's approach was able to continue through a legal loophole as an off-label treatment. Jesse Carmazin told the press that his company was pursuing an application with the FDA to continue his work, and he also said that Ambrosia was not offering the procedure to any customer. In line with that statement, the Ambrosia website said at the time that Ambrosia is currently in discussion with the FDA on the topic of young plasma. But then in June, just a few months later, Jesse Carmazin told a potential customer that they could currently get the procedure in two cities. This is what he said. We've now resumed treating patients. Uh, we are located in San Francisco and Tampa. And then he mentioned the prices, the ones we discussed earlier, 8K for a liter of young plasma and 12K for two liters. <laughs> I mean, it's unbelievable. He was pretty keen on moving forward with this startup, despite the risks. Yes, but by this point, the brand Ambrosia was no longer, you know, trustworthy enough to people, I guess. Obviously, the press did their jobs and warned everyone, and so did the FDA. So despite that loophole Karmazin found, there are no longer many people willing to pay good money for pseudoscience BS treatments. So is aging a disease? I don't think so. 
it's just the natural progression of how life works. Everything that's alive eventually dies. You know, flowers, animals, people. My brain cells when we fight endlessly over what subjects to do next in our podcast. <laughs> no, but very good point. Is aging a disease that needs treatment? I mean, look, I'm all for new scientific ways to make us feel and look younger and be healthier as we grow old. But in any case, I would not support anything that can potentially have super serious side effects. Well, Jesse Carmazin disagrees with us. So guess what he did after Ambrosia failed? I'd say surprise me, but I have an inkling. <laughs> he shut it down and then started a new company. <laughs> And he never admitted that the FDA very clearly expressed concern. He minimized the whole thing. In reality, the FDA said, quote, patients are being preyed upon by unscrupulous actors touting treatments of plasma from young doctors as cures and remedies. Such treatments have no proven clinical benefits for the uses for which these clinics are advertising them and are potentially harmful. But anyway, I think everyone made up their minds about Jesse at this point. Two months after Ambrosia closed in August of 2019, Jesse Carmazin started Ivy Plasma. He should have called it Revamped. <laughs> I mean, I would be intrigued to take a look if it had a clever name like Revamped. <laughs> I mean, Ivy Plasma is meh. Yeah. Revamped is kind of brilliant. I'm serious. Think about it. It fits because it's basically the rebuild of a previous company. And also you're an elderly person. You go there and get revamped with young blood like a real life vampire. <laughs> Karmazin is really not good at branding. <laughs> uh, Jesse, if you're listening, contact at dubiouspod.com. Branding services are available. <laughs> I hate to admit it, but uh, not really. I mean, Sandra's good at this sort of thing. Revamped <laughs> would have been uh, much better. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so what loophole did Karmazin find now for Ivy League blood, whatever his new company is called? Well, it's pretty infuriating, actually. In a statement to Business Insider, he said the new company called Ivy Plasma will provide blood transfusions that are not age specific. This is what Karmazin said word by word. The FDA considers age-specified plasma, i.e. young plasma, to be a new drug. Ivy Plasma is not offering young plasma, just generic old plasma, any body plasma, whatever plasma we I, can find. I can't believe this guy. I mean, the nerve. It's the exact same scam. He just took the word young out of it. And if you need more reasons to doubt Jesse Carmazin's credibility, we got you covered. Yes, let's point the Jesse Carmazin slash Ambrosia slash Ivy Plasma situation. So, Carmazin made numerous false claims regarding his treatments allegedly providing age reversal and near immortality. He repeatedly refused to release the results of Ambrosia's controversial pay-to-participate clinical trial. He never mentioned that he had been banned from practicing medicine in Massachusetts. For Ambrosia, he purchased plasma from a blood bank that recruited teenage donors for, quote, saving lives. So the young people donating blood were lied to. They thought they're donating to save people from imminent death, like, you know, car accident victims. And brace yourselves, this is the fang on the vampire cake. <laughs> when one of his patients died, Jesse Karmazin said that the patient faked his own death. What the actual <laughs> f***? <laughs> Yes, this is the crazy story within the story. 
Huffington Post reported on the death of one of his patients who died after receiving Karmazin's plasma transfusions. We'll link the article in our episode notes. And this is what Jesslyn Cook from HuffPost says in her article. He, Karmazin, didn't dispute the fact that the patient, a Georgia man who died unexpectedly at age 65, had received Ambrosia's treatment. He insisted the man was actually still alive. This is what Karmazin wrote to the reporter. I have a rather surprising piece of information to discuss with you. I was recently called by the patient. Suffice to say, it appears he faked his own death. He had mentioned some financial difficulties he had encountered, which perhaps might explain his motivation. I have to assume you have no objective evidence of his passing away. Karmazin was wrong. Obviously, Huffington Post had objective evidence of the patient's death, although the journalist didn't include all of it in the initial article. Prior to publishing, HuffPost obtained a copy of the man's publicly available death certificate, and it listed the cause of death, the attending physician, the official who pronounced the man dead, and all the details about the funeral proceedings and burial. Not knowing this, Karmazin apparently felt that claiming the man had faked his death was a worthy gamble. No patients died after receiving Ambrosia's treatment. I hope for professionalism and to avoid a lawsuit, you will update your article, he cautioned Huffington Post. As you might imagine, the potential damages are quite large. The nerve he has, I mean... <laughs> Look, this is far from the first falsehood Karmazin has been caught in, although it is probably the most unscrupulous. By claiming that the individual in question faked his own death, Karmazin alleged that his former patient has committed fraud. That is to say, in his emails accusing Huffington Post of defamation, Karmazin was defaming a dead man for personal gain. As he may already be aware, US defamation laws don't protect the deceased. I am speechless. That's a first. <laughs> I mean, this guy is something else, but Wait, what was with being banned from practicing medicine in Massachusetts? Well, thanks to Jesslyn Cook, we know that Karmazin's explanation for being barred from practicing medicine in Massachusetts doesn't add up either. In 2016, he signed an agreement with state authorities to cease his practice there immediately. Karmazin has claimed that he was required to sign the agreement simply because he left his medical residency early, but that doesn't really track because Karmazin was practicing under a limited license, which would have terminated automatically when he left his residency anyway, according to the executive director of the Massachusetts Board of Registration in Medicine. The type of agreement that Jesse signed is used to protect patient safety. So he did something that was deemed unsafe for patients. That's the logical conclusion. We don't know exactly what, but obviously it wasn't something good. Well, if anyone needs a scary Halloween story, uh, this guy and his vampirish Frankenstein experiments with conjoined mice and blood transfusions will do. <laughs> and we're not done yet. Wait till we get to the part where Karmazin attacks the journalist who exposed him. Yes, but real fast, we also have Herschel Walker and his 12 personalities and the demonic Creos doctor. <laughs> and the premium episode about the submarine murder of journalist Kim Wall. Yeah, we do two premium episodes per month, everybody, and they're only available to our premium patrons. You can get our premium episodes by going to dubiouspod.com and clicking on the Become a Patron button, or by clicking the link in the episode notes. For less than you spend at the fancy coffee drive through you can get our two premium episodes every month in addition to all our public episodes ad-free. 
and no negative side effects with our episodes either. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Unlike Jesse Karmazin, with us, what you see is what you get. So long story short, the Huffington Post journalist was threatened with lawsuits by Karmazin for writing about the patient who died. And she responded that Huffington Post stands by its reporting. And Karmazin was seething. And he sent an email saying, your magazine is a rag. And he was really (laughs) mad at Jesslyn Cook for not addressing him as doctor in her emails as well. (laughs) So Jesslyn, the journalist, sent him the patient's death certificate because Karmazin was trying to argue the patient fake his own death. The death certificate was obviously available as a public record in Georgia. And finally, a few hours later, Karmazin responded. In light of a death certificate, I have to agree that the patient is dead. I'm surprised he actually accepted the patient's death. I mean, he was pretty far along into this construct that he built. Anyway, about Peter Thiel, I think it's fair to mention that he never publicly endorsed ambrosia or ivy plasma. He did express his interest in parabiosis, though, and made all kinds of statements. We read some of his quotes in relation to the plasma transfusion issue. And look, when the press associates you with a startup like Ambrosia over and over again, if you don't support them, you know, have your PR people put out a statement to clarify that you don't. Yes, that's how I feel, too. The gray area, you know, silence type of thing is exactly what you don't want unless you support such practices that are unsafe. As far as we know... Thiel hasn't tried plasma transfusions yet, but he thinks parabiosis is a legit youth generator, potentially. But by not disavowing people like Karmazin, with whom the press associated him, he gives the impression he's all for companies like Ivy Plasma. And I think public persons like entertainers, tech moguls, and so on, have a responsibility because there are lots of other people looking up to them and following their example. Right, so circling back to cryogenics and uploading human consciousness into digital mediums and investing into efforts to colonize space for when the Earth becomes uninhabitable and, you know, preparing for the apocalypse here on Earth with these bunkers people build with state-of-the-art facilities inside and resources to last them for 100 years. Are the billionaires right? Can they cheat death? Well... It pains me to say, but I think in a way, yes, because look, I mean, money can't buy happiness, but it damn well can buy you the best chance available to any human to get the best healthcare while you're alive, to have the most naturally grown food, cleanest water and air, and to be frozen in nitrogen once you're dead. Plus, whatever other advantages science can get you, and I guess it's a lot of those, like algorithm and stuff to analyze your behaviors, answers, every bit of who you are and how you behave and collect that data and have it ready for when humans will have the capacity to either recreate someone's consciousness based on a lifetime of recorded behavior or download their brains into digital bodies. The rich will have access first to all of this stuff. They already do. And I think afterwards, little by little, the rest of us, which you know, poses a bunch of ethical and moral questions, right? Yeah, and let's forget about living forever even. Let's think about just living longer. Let's assume science will help us live 200 years. We're already too many. You know, the planet does not have the resources to feed us all, or at least not feed us real food. And this is already happening. The rich eat real foods, and regular people eat pretty much highly processed sugar most of the time. Just garbage, because it's cheaper. Right, my prediction is that in 20 years or so, the poor, that's us, Neil, will be (laughs) drinking some kind of liquid that's only part water because it will be cheaper than real water. 
which will be so expensive that only the very rich will afford drinking all the time. So should we really want to live 200 years on a planet with no resources to support us all? I don't know. And it doesn't seem like we'll be colonizing Mars very soon either, so... You know, there's a movie from the 1970s with uh, Charlton Heston about this. It's called Soylent Green, and that's what the stuff that they fed poor people in the future was called. And at the end of it, it's the factory where they're chopping up people and putting them in Soylent Green. And Charlton Heston is screaming, it's people, Soylent Green is people, damn you all to hell. <laughs> it's very funny, but... That might become a documentary in yeah, like 50 right? years. <laughs> like I Idiocracy, mean, yeah. <laughs> even if we do colonize Mars, there's going to be a very small sample of people going there in the first few decades. It's going to be the very smart people like the evolutionary biologists and the architects and mathematicians, and of course, the very rich. So far, I think the only people that managed to live forever are authors like Dickens, Hemingway, and so on, and famous historical figures. They live on through what they accomplished, but that's more of a philosophical view, I guess. With cryogenics, though, I have an ethical issue, I guess. If science will make it possible that these frozen people are revived and brought back, Shouldn't we want to ensure that we preserve the geniuses, not the rich? I mean, nobody needs Rupert Murdoch again. No offense, Rupert. But <laughs> we could all do with genetic scientists, Nobel Prize people, quality people, actual intellectuals and scientists. Podcasters. Yes, podcasters. <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of times these people don't have the money to pay to be cryonically preserved. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, why is Peter Thiel who's also a big investor in Alcor, a cryo company, more valuable than a literature professor or a physics professor. Money alone should not be the determining factor here, I don't think. Exactly. Anyway, that's why we call these ultra-rich people modern vampires, because in the end, it seems that one way or another, they are the most likely to live forever and suck our metaphorical blood. But <laughs> for now, there is no such thing as, you know, eternal life. So I guess if you want to live longer and be youthful, just drink water, not soda, eat healthy, exercise, get vaccinated, and don't have plasma transfusions unless an actual doctor says you need them for an actual illness or condition. That's all there is to it. And do a podcast, because one day they might use all the recordings of you to add whatever other info is left of you, and you could be recreated digitally. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine if they recreate us both, we'll be fighting for eternity? <laughs> <laughs> yes, good point. I will now officially ask that my consciousness please be stored on a different server than Neil's, or I'm going to hack his code and infect him. <laughs> I'll have three firewalls. I'm the mother of digital dragons, so firewalls don't scare me. <laughs> <laughs> so we're fighting about how we're going to fight in the forever digital life that we don't actually have. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, I got a picture of Peter Thiel sitting in the Fountain of Youth with Francisco Pizarro in the future. So what's your dubimeter for this episode? Scale from one to ten. I would have to say 15, definitely 15, because it's just crazy that people would think in 2022 that transfusions with plasma from teenagers can add decades to your life and keep you young, and it's just a little crazy. It is absolutely nuts. So that's it, guys. That's all we have for you this episode. If you like us, don't forget to leave us a review and uh, five stars in whatever app you're listening to us on. Yes, right. I love reviews. And we are a dubious pod on social media. Thank you guys for listening. We love you. And we'll see you guys next week. <laughs> <laughs>